0: The two questions, to what degree or how much does the Holy Spirit minister to me and how much through me? If you watch that three-minute video that we just saw, you see, wow, he ministers in so many very different ways. And even though we just focus in, we'll focus in on a few of them tonight to ask how much, to what degree, how do you quantify the Holy Spirit ministering through us. I don't believe we can be scientific about it tonight and come up with a percentage. Well, he ministers to me 37.9% and ministers through me 17.8%. I don't believe we can do that. It's not the suggestion. But just to reflect, to what degree is he ministering to me so that he could minister through me? I tell people all the time, especially people who are new to the faith and new to the scriptures, start with the Gospel of John, and then I say to Christians, every Christian should know the Gospel of John and the book of Romans like the back of their hands. Two very different books, entirely different one written with a high level of sophisticated argumentation, presenting something that builds upon another, builds upon another, and builds upon another, in the book of Romans, and then a book of John with very simple language, with but a 600-word vocabulary in the whole gospel, with simple, clear words repeated, love, believe, know, words like that, so simple, in its vocabulary, and yet so profound in everything it has. If you take the Gospel of John and you start to map it out, you realize after that breathtaking prologue in there, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. After you go through that, you find out that for 12 chapters, it deals with those particular miracles that John selected that would reveal things about God. They deal with the the Lord Jesus Christ and his public ministry. And that goes all the way up to chapter 12. If we hop over to chapter 18 to the rest of the book, it deals with Jesus' crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his pre-ascension appearances and those things. But right in the middle of the book, a big center part of the book, from chapter 13 up to chapter 17, you get that time where Jesus is sharing His final words with His apostles. It's that time where the teachings would be very specific. The most important things He would have for them to know and understand would be poured out in that time. And one of the topics He will deal with in those chapters is, I have to go, but the Holy Spirit is coming. In fact, it begins right there in chapter 13 with these words, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world. As I was uh, reviewing this and studying, it got me thinking of just before I came up for what was supposed to be a furlough that ended up me being here and staying here, and ministering here, and loving every minute of it, by the way, with how God worked. But when I knew I was coming for a furlough, and it might be a little bit longer than a typical furlough, and the national pastor who was taking over the second church plant, there was still so much more to pour into him, and my time was getting more and more limited. And every session we had, I I felt rushed. I felt a sense of urgency that he would understand this and know this and start to tell him about some of the background of different families in the church and things that never would have been shared from the pulpits or even as meetings, but that he needs to know about and different areas of doctrine to shore up and practical things. And with what little time we had before I would go with the expectation that I'd be coming back again. Someday I will. But pouring that into him, here is where you find Jesus. And so in chapter 13, right, I think it's good to have a little bit of background and remember this center section. He says, love one another and serve one another. Of course, you remember the foot washing and a new commandment I give to you. And then in chapter 14, again, he says, I, I'm going. I will come again. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he's starting to build things. And he says, I will not leave you orphaned. I will not leave you helpless. I will not leave you comfortless. And so all these things he's pouring into them. And then he reminds them that abide in me, stay in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. All this teaching that he's pouring out. And then we come to chapter 16. Of course, in chapter 17 is that magnificent what they call the high priestly prayer so right there in the in the middle of this deep section we're leaning our ear in and we want to hear every word we want to understand every metaphor we want to understand every nuance because here is the master teacher here is the savior whose hour had come pouring into them what they would need oh i need it too And of course, we have to rightly divide. Sometimes he would speak of things to them that would be particular to that immediate age that would come right after what we call the apostolic age. But so much of what he shared with them is universal, because after all, the Gospel of John is the universal gospel. And with that, we begin to look at some of these things. Four ministries of the Holy Spirit of God that we see. The first one I find in John chapter 16, verse 7. I think we have the verses up there on the screen for you. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage or expedient in the version I have here in front of me. For you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. The first thing the Holy Spirit of God does is he remains. Now, if you were only to read this in chapter 16, it's like, yeah, you'll send him to us, but for how long? But that was already answered back in chapter 14. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another helper, comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it... Seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I really wouldn't want us to miss this ministry, because in a way it sounds like a very passive ministry. Simply the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells dwells in us forever. Don't miss that. It's like, I want to see how does he minister? Does he do this? Does he do that? There are people out there all over looking for extraordinary manifestations of the Holy Spirit of God. And we love to share those stories sometimes in, in, in other Christian circles outside of ours where they've gone to, as I said earlier, even to aberrant extremes. They want to see the most extreme, flashy manifestations of the Holy Spirit if he could uh, work through me in such a way that I speak an unknown language. Then I have evidence. You will know you're saved, they may say. They do say in those circles erroneously. If you uh, want evidence that you're saved, the evidence will be speaking in tongues or this kind of thing. I want to back away from all of that, not just because it's error, but because sometimes we have a tendency to get bored with the ordinary and have a desire for the extraordinary. But it's just an ordinary thing to just be there to know that He remains forever. So much rests on that great truth in this age, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. It's a truth not found in any other religion. The idea of the Creator dwelling in the created and staying with Him forever. The truth that Jesus shared with them and with us tonight is profound. Because of that truth, I could hold on to every promise in the Word of God. Because of that truth, when my, on that dark night when my soul is vexed and <clears throat> I feel helpless and alone and isolated, I can know the Spirit of God dwells in me and is absolutely available to me. The time when I'm in a crowded room and still feel lonely and disconnected. The time when I'm connected through devices with all different kind of communities, virtual communities, and yet I still feel totally disenfranchised from everything I can know on the truth of the Word of God. I may not feel it, but I know it, he remains. A dear, dear friend of mine went home to be with the Lord just about a year or so ago, a little bit more than that. He was an older pastor, Pastor Fatui Laulangi. When I started out as a preacher and I was preaching, he would come from his church and come sit in on our services It would turn out later that his daughters would come to our church, and they're still in that first church plant to this day. And I got to know him, and he became a mentor and a great friend and a dear friend. And in his last year of life, when he was bedridden and his wife was bedridden and no longer had her mental faculties, couldn't speak or address him, and it was... The two of them were in a small room, taken care of at home with two hospital beds, kind of like that. I started going. Every Tuesday and Thursday, and sometimes I would just pop in. We know the family very, very well. And I would just go. They would always be very brief visits. I would bring something for the family, go in and just sit with them. You would think we would talk about the most profound things in the universe. We talked about Samoan food and culture and this and that and sometimes we just sat and said nothing now i would never want to overstay that kind of welcome you're taught that way as a as a pastor you go in and you're very sensitive you go in and you make your visit and you get yourself out but one day he grabbed my hand and said don't go just stay can you stay And then from that visit on, our visits became longer. It was a ministry of just being present. Did I have a lot to do? Who doesn't? But here was time that I just sat. I was just present. Now think about the ministry of the Spirit of God, that He's there forever. You say, sometimes I feel His presence. I know He's there. He's there providentially through these circumstances. It's so clear. When I pray, I just have this sense of His presence. When I read the Word of God, I read it and things pop. And I'm like, that's the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit and He's revealing it to me. And there are other times, let's be real with one another, there are times when it's dry. When the prayers feel hollow, when the reading is perfunctory, and when we might say he's not ministering at all because we don't feel it, please never mistake his silence for his absence. Amen. Because we, too much of our faith, too much of our willingness to serve, too much of our relationship is dependent on whether we feel it or not. Do I hear Him? Do I sense Him? But we have the truth of the Word of God that He indwells us forever. The remaining ministry of the Spirit of God. And that will not only minister to you, that will minister through you. Because when you have a rock-solid assurance that no matter the circumstances, no matter the feelings, that the Spirit of God is dwelling in me, people will see that on you and sense that. And it will open an opportunity. When you meet a well-planted Christian who just knows who they are in the Lord through it all. They're not a yo-yo Christian, but there's a steadiness to their relationship with God because they know He's there all the time. That The truth is He will never leave them nor forsake them. They are well positioned for the Spirit of God to minister through them. And one way I expressed is, just simply being present. I'm a guy. We guys tend to think that we've got to fix it all. Am I right? And the wives will often tell us, remind us, I'm not telling you so you can fix it. I'm just expressing it so you'll listen. Just Being there and being present. So he remains. If you know that you have the indwelling Spirit of God, are you practicing his presence? Are you, when you read the Bible, Aware in a moment-by-moment way that he ministers through that. When you know that you have the indwelling Spirit of God in you, it has to be the kind of thing that I don't know it here, I know it here. And everywhere I go, in every situation I am, I'm constantly reminded one way is simply to speak to him. I'm not saying speak speak in some mystical way. I'm not trying to get uh, away from the scriptures and all that kind of thing, and I'm not trying to be mystical here, but to have an ongoing consciousness of his presence. We're not like roommates who hardly talk to each other. My one son lives with a roommate, but the roommate has been away a whole lot, and lately they hardly see each other. To have the Spirit of God dwelling in us and not to acknowledge that presence continually, in prayer, in your Bible reading, and when you're making decisions, in being reminded that you have a resource that dwells within you. That's all available to us because he ministers, I believe, in the most important way. I believe every other ministry he does rests on that ministry that he's just present. And so I would encourage you to give God glory for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to just remain in you at all times and acknowledge it over and over and over again and remember that resource that's within you. The second ministry we would look at tonight is that he reminds us. He brings things to our remembrance. You ever have a student or a child and they're learning a memory verse. Maybe you give it as homework and then they come and they start to try to say the memory verse and they get stuck on a word. And you just remind them of the next word or two, and then, then they could roll on. But then you have that other student who didn't study at all, or the other child who never even looked at it, and you try to remind them of the next word. For God so loved the world, the world that he gave his only, but you have someone else. For God so loved the world, world that that he He. I don't know if you've ever worked that way with your with the children. Emmy's teaching Ava, my granddaughter, the verses in English and Samoan. It's so fun to watch because Emmy has to prompt her on every word in Psalm. She doesn't know the language, but it's a way to start to teach her to pronounce some things. Are we not like that when we neglect the word of God? Are we not like that when we neglect the things of the Spirit? See, he will do a reminding work in John 14:25 to 27 These things have I spoken unto you being yet present with you but the comforter which is the holy ghost whom the father will send in my name he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you Now there's a specific sense in this that Jesus was I thought I turned you off but okay Jesus in a very specific way, because they wouldn't have the written word of God. The Holy Spirit would bring to the remembrance all those different things that Jesus had said to them. But even with us now, we have the written word of God. And so the more we read it, the more we memorize it, the more we meditate on it, the more of that we do, we facilitate the reminding ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. How many times have I been counseling with someone and a verse pops into my head? It's a verse I know. I've never, have you, Pastor Ray, had a supernatural experience that a verse you never even knew pops into your head and you could quote the whole passage? I don't know, some people may claim such. But I certainly have had that time where I'm speaking with someone and counseling them and the Holy Spirit of God ministers through me because he's already ministered to me and there are verses I have a reservoir of verses that I can pull from. So he has a reminding ministry, but help him out. That's a silly way to say it, but I think you know what I mean by that. To put ourselves in the position, you see... If we're not inviting his ministry to us by reading the word that he inspired and that he illuminates to our understanding, we're not putting ourselves in the position to be ministered through to other people, at least not in the most effective way. In uh, John fifteen twenty six to 27, But when the Comforter has come, whom I was sent unto you, even the Spirit of truth. Oh, you will notice in these three chapters, three times he's referred to as the Spirit of truth. I will tell you this, do not, get, do not rely heavily on the ministry of the Holy Spirit apart from his word. The further you get away from that, the more subjective you get. And the more subjective you get, the less likely you are to be accurate about it. If all of your evidences of the Holy Spirit is because he did this thing and he did that thing and I was driving one way and I took a wrong turn down a wrong road and when I was going down that road I saw a friend I hadn't seen in years and I got out. Now he can be, he does work providentially like that, but if you're resting all of your evidence of how the Holy Spirit of God is ministering on such things, you could be prone to error. I say this to you as a missionary who has heard uh, other missionaries stand up and say they got a calling from the Holy Spirit of God and he confirmed it by this thing and that thing that happened and this thing and I saw that commercial on TV and I had this and they'll give all these evidences of how the Holy Spirit of God called them and then they might not make it one term on the field. Now I'm Praise, praise God, there are so many more who are deeper in their faith and very faithful not to do that. But I think you know what I'm talking about. But the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth, the word of truth. If your evidences are based on your experiences rather than on the word of God, you're on shaky ground. But every time, you know, the Spirit of God will work through a preacher preaching the Word of God. He'll work through a godly counselor giving you good counsel. But all of them, they're at their best when they're totally aligned with the Word of God. But he has a reminding ministry. I want to go on to a third one. And if we we don't get to the fourth, that's fine, because I want to park on this third his reproving ministry or convicting ministry. See, he reproves or convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Back there again in John chapter. 16, 8 to 11. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin or convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So this is a work the Spirit of God will do in the world to people who have not yet come to faith. And yet I find the same principles work in the life of believers. But if he's going to minister through us, in those ways, he convicts of sin. Why? Because they reject the Lord Jesus Christ. Because they don't believe him. The verses following saying that he re- he will convict of righteousness, because Jesus won't be there anymore. They won't have the perfect man there in their very presence, and he'll re- uh, convict, convict of the judgment that is to come. He does that very thing. Remember earlier it said, Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, I won't send the Spirit. Think about how much better off we are. I used to think, I wish that I could have lived during those days of Jesus. I really want to go on that Israel trip that Pastor Crompton is arranging. I'm excited about that, to be where he was and where he walked and to see those things. Never been there yet, never done it. I'm excited. But I used to think, I wish that I lived in that age where I could have seen him, where I could have touched the hem of his garment. And I got thinking about, we have a greater advantage by far. I really like Dave Ramsey. About six years ago, I started getting into Dave Ramsey, you know, the Christian financial guru guy. And I was really into him. And I started listening to his podcast and went through his system and reading books and rearranging how I handled finances, not glorifying poverty as I did for so many years as a missionary and getting in line with the scriptures and all that stuff. And I didn't know if I'd ever have a chance to meet him, but I was visiting my son and we said, let's go up to his studio's while they're on the air, and I got to meet him, and he signed the book for me. I had about 30 seconds, because it was while he was broadcasting, then they come out during a commercial, and you get to stand next to him and get your picture taken and sign a book. I couldn't even think. I'm not one of those guys who gets starstruck or anything, so I was pretty normal about it, but what am I going to say to this guy in 15 seconds? Think about if Jesus were still here, and the access we had, to him was like that we could be lined up and in our whole life we might not even get that 30 seconds but we live in an age where he dwells in us in the person of the holy spirit every single one of us what an advantage that is and that he would minister through us the word there for reprove or convict is to convict To refute, generally with a suggestion of shame to the hearer, to bring light to, to expose, to find fault with and correct, to even reprehend severely, to chide, to admonish, to call to account, to show one his fault, even to chasten or punish. In its noun form, it's used twice in the scriptures, once as reproof and once as evidence. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The reproof. The here is the absolute proof of it. It can no longer be refuted. Here it is. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for four things. The second one of them being that same word, reproof. So the question is this, how correctable are you? How confrontable are you? In a day and age where everything is about not offending people and being so careful and all that kind of thing, we need to understand that a ministry of the Holy Spirit is a reproving ministry. And if we cannot be corrected, if we cannot have sin pointed out, if we cannot have error pointed out in our lives, it's going to be very hard for the Holy Spirit of God to minister that through us. There is so much wrong in this world that needs to be confronted, but needs to be reproved, brought to light, exposed, made known, by godly people who are walking in the Spirit, who they themselves can receive reproof. Husband, can you take it once in a while from your wife? Wife from the husband, child from the parent, employee from the employer? If someone would reprove you, would correct you, would point out something that is wrong and needs to be made right, can you take it? Or is the impulse, let me find out what they did wrong. Can the preacher get up and preach and sometimes thunder without you deciding that you need to leave this church because he was abusive from the pulpit? This idea that the Holy Spirit ministers in this way Thank God he does. Thank God that he loves us, that God loves us enough to say, here's what's wrong and here's how you correct it. I want to dig into some of the verses in our last couple minutes here. In Ephesians 5, 11 to 13, it says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. In verse 13, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. So one of the things of the reproving work of the Holy Spirit of God, he would wants to do that in the world, to a lost and dying world. Your sin needs to be exposed to the light. And the righteousness of Christ, we need to shine a giant spotlight on it. And the fact that there is Uh, uh, Such a thing as the wrath of God and the judgment for those who would reject Christ needs to be put up in bright letters on the brightest board for people to see. That's a ministry of the Holy Spirit, but he will minister that way in our lives too. Minister to us so that he can minister through us. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, repute, excuse me, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Those are strong words. Why does Paul write that to Timothy? Because the day will come when they will heap to themselves teachers who would tickle your ears rather than preachers. He says, Timothy, reproof. I'm not talking about a pastor getting up and shaming a person and abusing the pulpit. Well, I'm glad that we have a pastor who challenges us. Amen. Sunday morning after Sunday morning, good night, this total commitment theme. And it just keeps coming back to him, back to him, he has to be the king of your life, and to this and to that. And a... Aren't you glad you have that kind of a pastor? Amen. I mean, he could be getting up here and, doing his hair a little different and saying, you live your best life now and just know that Jesus loves you and he loves every one of you. And so let's let's just love one another. I mean, praise God for a pastor who will get up and preach in such a way that it steps on our toes. He got all over me that one night he was preaching about worrying about the exteriors and not the interior parts and what you dress and what you this. I mean, it was tough because my daughter, who was raised that way, was looking over at me, and I was like, I'm listening to the sermon. <laughs> I mean, there are times he, say, he preaches the truth of God's word and the reproving work of the Spirit of God is going on in ministering. And if it steps on your toes, say, ouch, ouch, and Hallelujah! You ought to learn to do that anyway, because if you hit your thumb with a hammer or something, it'd be pretty good if you said "Ouch!" and Hallelujah, <laughs> instead of some other words that might come to the surface. Luke three nineteen. But Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife and for all the evils which he had done. When John the Baptist went in there and told him he was wrong, he was reproving him. We sometimes need a Nathan who will come in even to the king and say, thou art the man, no matter who that is. I would encourage you to thank God tonight for the reproving ministry of the Spirit of God and invite it and learn to be reproved. One thing, ministering in the islands for many years among the Samoan people, boy, they can take being reproved and humble themselves. They have something called an ifonga that they will do. If they've really grieved someone, the family will come and they have a big woven mat and they'll get on the front yard of the family that they offended and get under that mat and they might stay there for hours until the offended family is willing to come out and hear their apology. I found that I've had to make that adjustment coming back to New Jersey. It's not quite that way. (laughs) I've come to the state of the not my child. I mean, I'm used to being in the islands when someone does something wrong, you reprove them right there, and then their parents reprove them and add a few more things to it. And then come to a place where we don't have a taste for being convicted of sin, for being reproved, for being confronted. We ought to do it in every case we can, lovingly and gently, gently and guided by the Spirit of God. But you you know, and I know, don't you, Pastor Ray, sometimes with some situations and some people, they still don't get it. And you've got to be a little bit stronger and clearer. You just want to be bathed in humility and be sure that you are allowing the Spirit of God to minister through you in such a way. And I think I'm going to end with that. I do have a fourth one, the revealing work of the Spirit of God where he teaches and is the Spirit of truth. But we can save that for some other time.